One, two, three, four. You're listening to Boss Tone Radio. Presented by BossUS.com. Welcome to Boss Tone Radio. On the line today, we have the amazing, the incredible, Paul Gilbert. I know Paul from back in the days when we used to teach at GIT in Hollywood. This is Paul Hansen. I'll be your host again on this seventh edition of Boss Tone Radio. Paul Gilbert just finished his first all-instrumental guitar album, and it's called Get Out of My Yard. He's a pretty funny guy, and you should check out his website. That would be paulgilbert.com. Paul's working on organizing a world tour in 2007, so hopefully he'll be in your city soon. Keep checking back his website and also his MySpace. That would be myspace.com slash paulgilbert. Before we talk to him, here's an excerpt from his album, Get Out of My Yard, and this is the solo from the song, Hurry Up. Here's Paul Gilbert. So I don't know if you could hear that, Paul. Could you hear it? I could hear it. It's rocking over here. It's, it's rocking as my phone has ever been. Oh, good. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming on our Boss Tone Radio podcast. Really appreciate it. Well, no problem. Thanks for having me. And good to talk to you. I remember those 80s GIT days. Those were a blast. We used to do that orientation performance with Tim Bogart. And yeah. Man, you used to kick my butt in that, dude. <laughs> that was fun. Well, it was an interesting time at the school because I think the school started, you know, it was founded by a bunch of great jazz guitar players. Yeah. And, and, and then us rock guitar players sort of infiltrated the system. Absolutely. And, uh, and musically hijacked it. Yeah, no kidding. I think uh, the times when we were there, it was really evolving <laughs> yeah. due to the popularity of heavy metal rock guitar. But there were a million guitar players there, too. There yeah. were some amazing people. I remember just when I was a student... Some of my fellow students, you know, went on to 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 amazing things. Like, um, who was the guy that became a really famous singer, and then he died in in a swimming accident? He's hugely he's become like a cult hero. Uh, Jeff Buckley, that's it. Jeff yeah, Buckley. Yeah, Jeff Buckley was there. There, there was um, the red-haired guy who was who was like from the <laughs> south, and now he plays with the Grateful Dead. Jimmy Jimmy Herring. I remember when. Uh you formed uh, Mr. Big uh, with Billy Sheehan. Was that that was like right after he left David Lee Roth? It was. I think David Lee Roth became 
a, a bit more corporate rock than Billy had hoped, mm-hmm. and he really wanted to form more of a band band, mm-hmm. and so that's what Mr. Big became. And what was that like? I mean, you guys were doing big arenas, and... and uh, that was and, amazing. I mean, the, the, the first arena tour we did was opening up for Rush, and Rush were huge musical <laughs> heroes of mine. Oh, yeah. And so I just remember the first day that I showed up, you know, the, I, mean, I showed up at the arena and <laughs> was sort of led into the... Um, the catering room where everybody's eating. Mm-hmm. And I walk in and, and Getty Lee's sitting there, you know, eating lunch. And, yeah. and I had told myself before, you know, <laughs> just be cool when you see this guy. Yeah. You know, don't freak out or anything. Yeah. And I couldn't help myself. I ran up to Getty and went like, Getty, I'm sick you, greatest man. I love you. Yeah. And, then, and then immediately felt embarrassed. I was like, I'm sorry, sorry, you know, finish your lunch. I was in Germany once and I was supposed to play at the Fockbot booth at Music Mesa. Yeah. I was supposed to sound check and this dude was in there just noodling and... I wasn't going to get a sound check, and so I went in there, really kind of ticked off. Yeah. And I was going to be real tough, you know. Then when I got a clear look at him, it was Uli Roth. Oh, yeah. I think I actually fell to my knees, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird when you meet these guys who influenced you, you know. Yeah, Yeah, they become part of your, your DNA. Back in that, that era, I remember one time you came into the teacher's lounge, and you had this guitar that you said was... Uh, your new telly, and uh, I looked at it and I thought, dang, that's not a telly. And you pointed to the headstock and it said, Telly Savalas. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I ever saw. Do you still have that guitar? You know what, I, I gave it to a friend of mine who runs the Race Rex website. Oh, cool. He's been, he's been running the thing for, for the love of it. Uh-huh. And I thought, I would, thought I'd give him some, something good for his efforts. Oh, that's so cool. You know. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I can't resist a pun, and I always thought... You know, what, what other tellies are there besides Telecaster? I know, there's Telecaster. <laughs> that could be a good name for a guitar. So, back in those days, what kind of gear did you use in Mr. Big? In the Mr. Big days, every Mr. Big album, I would use almost a completely different mm-hmm. system. At, at the beginning of the band, it was kind of challenging, because I had just come out of Racer X, which was sort of a screaming heavy metal band. Uh-huh. And at that time in Racer X, I had just discovered this ADA preamp. Oh, yeah. And I was running that through some old vintage um, Ampeg V4 heads. The nice thing about it was that it was one of the first MIDI oh, yeah, switchable. preamps, so you could, you could really change sounds radically mm-hmm. without having to get like a really expensive you know, Bob Bradshaw switching system. Right, It yeah. was cheap, it worked well, it sounded pretty good. And but when I started playing with Mr. Big, they, they wanted more of a you know more of a vintage kind of '70s sound. Mm-hmm, Marshall, and, you know, I was just way into the metal, so mm-hmm. I remember the producer always just wanting me to pull back the distortion. And uh-huh. really, I mean, of course, the, some sometimes the '70s sounds are cleaner. Uh-huh. They're also percussive because like the power section of the amp is working. So anyway, that was that was sort of my mm-hmm. my painful discovery was that in this band I, I couldn't just go balls out fuzz all the time, and I needed mm-hmm. to have more clarity and sustain and uh-huh. just a, a more like classic rock kind of sound I, I sort of struggled with that through the whole the whole whole band because uh, my roots are so metal that it was hard to find the happy medium um but in that search you know, i went from the first album of mr big i think i used mm-hmm. like half and half you know ada and i also had some metal tronic amps that lee, J- lee jackson mm-hmm. was making then the second album I think I used some mild Lee Jackson Marshalls for that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's listen to a couple excerpts from Mr. Big. This is from Colorado Bulldog on the Bump Ahead album. <laughs> Bump 
I pasted together a couple sections of that tune. Man, that's rocking. Hey, can we talk about pedals? Were you using any pedals at that era? At that? Well, you know, and that was like the era of the rack, too. That's so right, yeah. Using like a Eventide harmonizer. The thing is, is when I was a kid, first starting out playing guitar and being in bands, at that time, you know, the pedals were the way to go. And mm-hmm. so that was that's really my roots and my comfort zone. I mean, even mm-hmm. though I've... You know, during the the '80s and Mr. Big Air, I sort of went to the rack thing because that was yeah. that was new and exciting. I always found myself going back to the pedals, uh-huh. and uh, and and that's that's where I am now. I mean, I'm always going to the hardware store and buying new pieces of plywood that I can stick Velcro on and, and <laughs> make pedal boards. Now my my main goal for the pedal board uh-huh. is it has to be able to fit in one side of my double gig bag. Oh, cool! So I've got like yeah. you know, one side is the pedal board, and the other side is a guitar, and I can just throw it under the plane and. And, and I'm, I'm ready to rock anywhere. Ah, it's perfect. But, um, I think the the return to pedals actually happened when I started, you know, started doing my solo records. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. pedals are like ubiquitous. I mean, you can't. Sorry, I Paul. I don't even know what ubiquitous means. <laughs> ubiquitous means yeah. like ever present. They're, they're just you're like surrounded by them no matter where you go. Oh yeah, ubiquitous. And so I I don't even remember where exactly <laughs> I accumulated all of them, but I always had them around. Uh huh. And I'd always have like a. You know, I, actually, I do remember it during the Mr. Big days. I did have, in the live rig, I had a, a uh, one of those blue compressors. Huh, CS3? Whichever one they made in, like, you know, in the early 90s. Maybe that was the CS2. I mean, there's so many of those overdrive pedals, and, and I usually keep yeah. track of them by what color they are. Uh-huh. And I think at that time I had a yellow one. Yeah. With, with a lot of knobs on it. It wasn't the three-knob one. It was, like, the four-knob one. Probably the OS2, I think. That's the four-knob. And those two pedals really worked nice together. I, mean, I, yeah. I really put them both on at the same time, but the compressor was like sort of a subtle boost, uh-huh. really good for clean stuff, and then the yellow one took you into hyper-fuzz. And that was using an amp that had distortion anyway. Uh-huh. But the thing I, I found that, that worked so well was to have a nice distorted amp that was distorted enough to rock, mm-hmm. but clean enough to where if you stopped playing, mm-hmm. the guitar wouldn't hiss and feedback and, and make a lot of noise. So you could actually stop. Which is that can be a challenge for guitar players to stop, <laughs> and, and the reason is because usually you know there's so much distortion that if you yeah. do stop, bad horrible things happen. You know, there's all this noise, and but, so I found if I just got like sort of a noiseless regular distorted sound, and then had those two pedals to to you know give me two more two more steps of insanity uh-huh. Uh-huh. at will, that, uh, that worked out really well. You mean stopping without turning your volume down? Um, I can't imagine to turn the volume. Yeah, down, I so can't imagine not doing that. I kind of do that anyway. Yeah, but if you have the kind of distortion that I have when I kick the pedals on, even with the volume on the guitar down, it's it's still hissing and making all kinds of noise. Yeah, and to me that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, and that's not any kind of flaw of the pedal. That's just you know you're just you're just dealing with amounts of gain and distortion that are so extreme uh, that yeah. um, it gives it gives the instrument the, the it gives the electric guitar a, a really unique feeling that I, I probably no other instrument in the, in the world has. I mean, if you look at some of the most ferocious guitar players out there, to me, one of my favorite heavy metal, just ferocious guitar players is Ingve Malmsteen. Ah, oh, he's if, so if, good. If you watch his hands when he's playing, he's not playing particularly hard. No. You know, I mean, he's playing a lot less hard than like a Johnny Ramone or a George Thorogood <laughs> or some, somebody yeah. like that. He was playing relatively, with relatively light, uh, light touch. And that's because the distortion is so raging that, yeah. that you know he's basically just guiding the guitar, which is already mm-hmm. kind of moving. He's you know, he's just steering. Interesting way to put it. Yeah. So the the pedals are like almost like the gas pedal on a car. 
and then your technique becomes the steering wheel. And as long right. as you can, <laughs> and when you turn the pedals off, that's your brake. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good analogy. Hey, Paul, let's listen but to it. Usually you do yeah. have to stop, and it's, nice, it's a nice effect. Hey, I'm going to play another excerpt. This is from You Kids, yeah. and from your album, Get Out of My Yard. By the way, I had a neighbor when I was a kid. If we crossed through his yard, we could cut about 10 minutes off our walk to school. Yeah. But this guy was mean, Mr. North. Oh, and uh, did you have a neighbor like that? Is that what this <laughs> concept's based on? I had... Oh, uh, my neighbor's weren't so mean, but they all had they all had weapons. <laughs> so you were in Pittsburgh, right, or outside of Pittsburgh? Well, in, the, in the a rural city outside of Pittsburgh, it was uh, there were a lot of trees around. So it was beautiful, but uh, there was definitely animals that people wanted to go hunt down. <laughs> well, really cool looking album covers, really funny. So this is uh, the solo from You Kids. Here goes. Hey, we're going to take a short break here, and then we'll be back with more real interesting stuff from Paul Gilbert. He's going to tell us a little bit more about tone and his technique and uh, his gear. And so stay tuned to segment two of the seventh edition of Boss Tone Radio.